Hello all, and welcome to a new episode of the Horror Countdown Podcast. I'm your host, Don and Ellie, and with me tonight is one of my dearest friends in podcasting, the man who I've recorded more hours with than anyone else in the world, my good friend, Mr. Venom. Bienvenidos, señores y señoras. Oh, wait a minute. This podcast isn't actually in Spanish, is it? All right. Mm. Greetings and salutations, my friends. How the hell is everybody? <laughs> Don, thank you so much for having me. How you doing, buddy? Oh, it's uh, been great. Uh, like I said before, we've uh, recorded more hours than anyone else around, <laughs> and uh, it's only natural that uh, we get to do this. And uh, I'm incredibly excited to announce that um, if that little intro didn't give it away, tonight we're going to be discussing Spanish language horror. Ah, my one of one of my first loves. Well, maybe not my first love. Uh, American horror definitely would be first, but through my grandmother and some of the older aunts and uncles in my family, I was introduced to like a lot of Jess Franco stuff and Paul Nashy stuff like that. So yeah, Spanish horror. And on top of the fact that I, of course, am a Spaniard, as you and most listen, most of my listeners know. So yeah, it it, it was a no brainer for for this one. Yeah, indeed. Um, we were. I was talking uh, earlier that uh, we were. I was going through my list. Uh, I had a couple of uh, choices on mine that I had on there just because they were Latin. But then I realized, oh crap, they're Brazilian. Brazilians are <laughs> Portuguese, so I gotta switch. I had to switch them out at the last minute. There you go. Um, so yeah, um, for this list, we decided to strictly limit it to Spanish speaking. Or um, I'm sure you'll have a couple of others that are Spanish in a sense, but not necessarily true Spanish. Um, I'm sure there's several offshoots from uh, sections of Spain that uh, you have that are not traditional Castilian or um, normal Spanish, but um, are close enough that I'm not going to split hairs. But uh, because mine were Portuguese, I kind of took them off at the last second. (laughs) Yeah, uh, I definitely wanted to make sure that... um, uh, Spanish-speaking countries in South America also counted because there's there's one movie in particular from Argentina that I just could not keep off this list. It would be an absolute travesty. Oh, um, and then there was almost another one uh, from uh, what was it? It was from Bolivia, but I ended up that one ended up not making my top ten. But yeah, I just wanted to make sure all my bases were covered because that one movie from Argentina. I, I'm not doing a Spanish language horror list without including that one. <laughs> And uh, I'm probably gonna guess that that one's gonna be covered because I, knowing you, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna venture a guess that I'm gonna make a bet with myself. Um, yep. I'll announce it when it comes up. But there you go. <laughs> knowing you, I'm gonna figure I'm gonna guess pretty much. But uh, yeah, um, oh, yeah, like I said earlier, um, a couple of choices were Brazilian, so I had to swap those out at the last minute. But uh, I'm really pleased with my list. I think I got a a nice cross selection of stuff. Um, heavily favored Spain, just you know, natural. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I, I do have a couple of uh, Latin American ones. Um, a couple Mexican. Um, mm-hmm. Let's see, I've got uh, three or four from Mexico. I've got one from Chile, one from Argentina, and I even have a uh, co-production. Um, heavily leaving uh or uh, i'm sorry two co-productions so yeah um yeah i definitely learned a lot about myself while making this list because i honestly thought that there would be a lot more classic spanish horror on my list because as i mentioned earlier you know my introduction to spanish horror was really early 
So when, you know, when you came to me with the idea for this, I'm like, okay, there's probably going to be a Just Franco movie in here. There's probably going to be an Armando de Osorio movie in here. And there's probably going to be a Paul Nashi movie in here. Guess what? There's not a movie on my top 10 that's older than 1995. And I'm absolutely shocked about that. But Ah. man, it's just so, so many, so much great Spanish horror has come out in the last 25 years that as much as I love, love, love the classic Spanish horror directors, I, I, I just couldn't bring myself to leave out any of the movies in my top 10. They all mean a lot to me. Well, I mean, this is probably going to be uh, a lot of fun then, because um, when I came to listing Spanish horror, there's only one, or, I'm sorry, there's only two post-70s. Uh, nice. Um, yeah, so I, I have the uh, old school covered, and I'm pretty sure you'll have the new school covered. So this will be, uh, be a fun little uh, documentation of uh, Spanish horror to check out. So I uh, guess with that, let's uh, dive into our list. Have any preferences or? No, sir. I'll let you drive the bus. (laughs) Okay. Well, uh, in that case, let's, uh, um, we're going to go with uh, one of my personal favorite uh, Mexican horror films. Uh, Let's see how long this uh, little experimentation of mine lasts, because I went with Cementario del Terror, or Ruben Galindo's Cemetery of Terror. Um, Yeah, this one was an absolute blast when I first discovered it. uh, basically involve it's a uh, two-pronged storyline uh, so this is kind of a, an unusual film uh, first half of the film is a, a group of teens involved a, um, in a little uh, lakeside retreat uh, unwittingly find themselves being stalked one by one by a mysterious killer only to realize halfway through the film that holy crap he kills everyone and uh, he ends up uh, managing to uh, procure his hands on a book of the dead that was uh, you know, held in residence at the uh, cabin and uh, raises the dead. So the second half of the film is a zombie, sort of a, uh, you know, Night of the Living Dead kind of uh, ripoff. But um, I'm such a fan of this. Uh, It's kind of goofy and, uh, you know, it kind of mixes its tones um, really oddly in that the slasher half of the first um, part of the film is, uh, you know, dark and brutal and it has, you know, great kills, tons of uh, atmosphere and all kinds of uh, fun stuff going on and then the uh zombie out film is kind of uh, child friendly because uh the main character is a uh teenager and uh she's her i think it's her brother and his friend so they're you know trick-or-treating trick-or-treat aged kids uh they're going around and they wind up in the middle of this graveyard and they have to you know escape it when the zombies run out so uh it's kind of weird uh, seeing the two juxtaposed against each other, but uh, it works. It's got it's got a lot of fun going on. Uh, you know, you get your zombie outbreak, you get your slasher mayhem, and uh, even has a uh, small little cameo from a uh, Mexican legend, Hugo Stiglitz. So, <laughs> yeah, um, for those that aren't familiar, he's one of the uh, biggest uh, stars in Mexican cinema or uh, 60s and 70s. So, mm-hmm. see Michael. him. My grandmother was a huge fan. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm, I'm pretty sure there's going to be a lot of uh, people in that age or that age bracket are going to say the same thing. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, seeing him pop up in here, um, of course, genre fans will know him as the uh, lead reporter in Nightmare City, which unfortunately will not make my list. But that's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for those that don't know him, he's the uh, reporter from Nightmare City. So, yeah, yeah. Um, 
overall, yeah, one of my favorite films. Uh, I'm a huge fan of this one, and uh, definitely check it out if you can. 1985's Cementario del Terror. Uh-huh. Awesome pick. It's been a, ages since I've seen that, but I do remember enjoying it. I think I actually saw it in Spanish, too, like without subs. So that was an interesting experience. Uh, but yeah. So for my number 10, uh, let's start out the list with um, anyone who's listened to the last couple of uh, episodes of Fresh Cuts uh, with Don and myself knows that I am a fan of bleak endings. I've always kind of been a big fan of either when the villain actually wins or when the situation at the end of the film kind of leaves the world worse than when the film started. So I'm big fan of that. So it makes sense that my number 10 is coming to you from Mexico. This is 2013's Here Comes the Devil, written and directed by Adrian Garcia Bugliano. And uh, obviously, you know, the story of two children who disappear into a cave uh, just outside of Tijuana, and they end up coming back. But there is something different about them. And the movie kind of goes on from there. This one, this was a great one because as I'm watching it, it feels like I know where the ending is going. But then they pull a little bit of a swerve at the end. Not so much a twist, but just the, the ending went in a direction that I didn't anticipate it going to. And it ended up giving me one of those dark, bleak endings that I absolutely adore. So, yeah. Uh, this was this was an easy one for me. Uh, just great performances by the kids, great performances by the parents, um, you know, who are obviously all over the place emotionally, worry, despair, fear, anger, hate, just all of it. And it really comes across in these performances. And, you know, as I said, this one's not necessarily a favorite of most genre fans. I know it's a more recent one that, you know, doesn't have a very high rating on IMDb, but as I've said, these kind of bleak stories just kind of speak to me. So, yeah, my number 10 is Here Comes the Devil. Nice. Um, I haven't seen that one. I have seen the sequel, um, Here Comes the Devil 2 or mm-hmm. Part 2 or something. Um, I, I I watched it one day on uh, Hulu thinking I was it was actually the original and uh, it was uh, the sequel. So um, I, I do need to track the... Uh, I do need to track the original down because I haven't seen that one yet. But um, mm-hmm. I, I, I do like the sequel. It's got its moments. Um, if I would have uh, seen the original and connected them, maybe I would uh, think a little highly of it. But um, nice. Uh, yeah, it's uh, one that I uh, definitely want to get to. So. There you go. Uh, yeah. Uh, moving on to uh, my number nine. Um, we're going to visit contemporary Spain. And we're going to visit a... Uh, genre throwback that uh, just speaks to me in more ways than I can imagine. 2011's Lobos de Arga, or Game of Werewolves. Nice. So uh, this one is a, uh, it's actually kind of a comedy. Um, if uh, For those that are unfamiliar, it uh, revolves around a writer who is a, uh, he's kind of like a struggling horror author. Um, his last uh, couple of novels haven't really sold that well. And uh, he finds a, a strange letter from his hometown that uh, he's trying to do, you know, he's basically spent his entire life trying to get out of. And uh, they need a, um, for some kind of a mission back in his hometown. Um, he, they never really explicitly state it, um, either that or I don't remember. But um, he, he, he goes back to his hometown and uh, eventually discovers that there's a um, werewolfy curse uh, placed upon the mm-hmm. villagers. And, uh, you know, things go haywire from there. Um, 
So uh, for those that aren't um, aware, uh, a lot of uh, Spanish horror from the 60s and 70s is uh, pretty much dictated by uh, one name, uh, Jacinto Molina or Paul Nashi. And mm -hmm. this is an absolute glorious throwback to those kinds of films. Um, the werewolves, um, and I do mean werewolves, because there's more than one. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> uh, all of the werewolves in this are just given that fantastic old school uh, makeup. Everything looks exactly kind of like, you know, the wolfman look that Nashi had back in the, the glory days of his uh, work. And it just turns into this hysterical ride where, you know, He's trying to, you know, not get caught up in what's going on because he doesn't really want to be there. And, and all the townspeople are trying to, you know, like get him to stay and all this kind of, you know, shenanigans and misunderstandings happen. And then the final half uh, occurs and it's just basically this huge chase through this uh, town. And, oh, God, it's just gothic atmosphere to its fullest extent. It's just a lot of fun and, you know, tons of gore, lots of great physical comedy great looking werewolves uh, it's an absolute blast so yeah man i missed this one i remember seeing uh, it was either a poster or like a uh, an ad maybe online for it and remember i remember thinking it looked interesting uh but i just never got around to it but yeah that sounds great yeah um i was able to catch it uh on cable tv i don't remember the station it's it, basically i i saw it a very shortly after it came out so I, I don't really remember, but I caught it on TV and it was always one that stuck with me, um, not just because, you know, I'm a huge world fan, but uh, it being just a great throwback to Nashi and all of the, you know, gothic horror stuff in the 70s. So <laughs> very cool. Yeah. Um, if you can find it, it's definitely worth uh, worth a look. So yeah. uh, number nine for me is Lobos de Arga. Awesome. All right. Now, my number nine. This is going to be the contentious pick of my top 10 because this is an absolute guilty pleasure. Most people, including myself, wouldn't try to convince anyone that this movie is a horror classic or anything like that. But anyone who knows me knows I love zombies. I love horror comedy. And when you put them both together, it's almost always a winning combination for me. Obviously, you know, we think about movies like Shaun of the Dead, Return of the Living Dead, things like that. Shaun of the Dead being literally one of my favorite horror comedies of all time. So that makes my number nine something that I'm probably going to get a little bit of hate for, but I'm going to do it anyway. This is Juan de los Muertos uh, coming out of coming from Cuba this time, and it's more affectionately known in the United States as Juan of the Dead. Um, like I said, this is a horror comedy based uh, around the, uh, the zombie apocalypse, as opposed to Shaun of the Dead, where they actually show the beginning of the apocalypse there. Um, with one of the dead, everything is already in motion. You know, Cuba is already a hellhole of zombies. But these this group of three or four friends actually decide to start a business. And what is their business? They clean zombies out of your property. Yes, they will come to your house. If you have zombies in there and you don't want to have to deal with them yourself, they will come and clean them out. Obviously, kill them, get rid of the bodies. Unfortunately, we never actually get to see them perform this throughout the film uh, because of just, you know, all sorts of different wacky scenarios and situations that occur. It is very solidly tongue-in-cheek, which is why I know a lot of people maybe don't enjoy this one. Um, 
but there's animated sequences in this one that I really, really enjoy. There's a there's a spectacular hero sacrifice scene at the end um, that really just made this movie one of my favorite horror comedies of all time. Uh, and Juan is such a, you know, Juan himself is such a great character. You know, he comes off as like this skinny little loser early on, but then ultimately he becomes you know, not the big hero of the film, but one of the major pieces as to why he and, you know, anyone who's able to survive is able to survive. So, yeah, uh, this is a weird pick, but it's my top 10 and I absolutely adore Juan of the Dead. So here it is at number nine. And you're not going to get anything for me. It's an honorable mention. Nice. Very cool. <laughs> yeah, I'm a big fan as well uh, for much of those same reasons. So, yeah, that, that one made my honorable mentions list. So, yeah, I I, I don't have it as affectionately as you, but uh, I'm definitely mm-hmm. on the uh, positive side with that one. So very cool. <laughs> yeah. For uh, moving on to my number eight, this is uh, going to be the oldest one on the list. Um not necessarily the greatest film, but uh, one that always uh, stuck with me uh, first time I saw it. 1963's La Maldición de la Llorona. And uh, unfortunately, it's the only one of these on the list. Um, I know that there's probably a couple of others I could have gone with, but I, I've always just absolutely adored this one. Um, I love just the, the, it's sort of a gothic atmosphere. Um it's not necessarily anything new. It's basically just, you know, a small town community just caught in the grip of the La Llorona ghost and trying to, you know, stop it before it spreads and, uh, you know, stuff excuse from there. But um, anyone that's, uh, you know, a fan of like the Roger Corman kind of gothic horror, um, you know, with uh, especially the stuff that he was doing with, uh, you know, Vincent Price, you know, with the Edgar Allan Poe adaptations, this is going to fit right in. Um even some of the, you know, other smaller stuff, like, you know, some of the Italian Gothic stuff that Mario Bava was doing in Italy or, um, you know, the, the early Jess Franco stuff like uh, Dr. Z or um, sadistic Baron von Klaus and uh, a couple of that other stuff that was coming out. Uh, this is going to be right up your alley. Um, just absolutely fantastic atmosphere. The witch looks terrifying. I mean, this is one of the best looking makeups that you'll see in this kind of a budget. It just looks incredible. And I love the just the way that it just, you know, that wail that it, it just goes along with it is fantastic. Oh, yeah. I, I realize it's kind of cheap. It uh, definitely shows its budget. It's, you know, mm-hmm. it's not the greatest, uh, you know, technical wise, but I've always enjoyed this one. It's always been one that I've uh, always kind of championed as like, you know, this under the radar gothic horror film. But if you can get a chance to watch it, uh, give it a shot. Um, uh, You'll probably find it under uh, the translated title, uh, The Curse of the Weeping Woman. But uh, it's definitely a uh, it's definitely worth a watch. So I'm not 100 percent sure if I've seen this one. I've seen multiple La Llorona movies over the years and the Weeping Lady, the Weeping Woman, things like that. So, yeah, it's quite possible I've seen it. But just based on your description, it doesn't really ring a bell. But um, I mean, I'm I'm always down for La Llorona movies. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think the there was one that there was a film just called La Llorona from '61 uh, or '62 or something like that. That kind of uh, I think it like kickstarted a small little series of uh, you know La Llorona movies. So maybe mm-hmm. that could have been one that you saw. Potentially, yeah, because there was I I know that there was a couple of others. Um, I'm pretty sure Santo fought it at some point. 
So that could have been another um, potential one. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, uh, the mal uh, the maldición de la Verona was uh, it was one that I always really enjoyed, and uh, it's definitely uh, well at uh, number eight on my list. So. <laughs> awesome! I'll I'll find it. I'll check it out. Awesome. So for my number eight. Once again, we're still solidly in the 2010s. Uh, this film, it comes to us from Spain, I believe. Let me verify. And yes, it comes to us from Spain. Duh, it's set in Madrid. I guess I should have just looked at that. Uh, yes, this is from 2017. This was a Netflix release here in the States. This was indeed a film that Mike and myself reviewed on Fresh Cuts before Don joined us a couple of years ago. And this is uh, coming to you from one of my favorite modern Spanish directors ever, Paco Plaza, uh, the director of Wreck, which, you know, I'm sure we'll hear about him more later on. But this is his more recent effort. This is called Veronica. This is the story of a teenage girl who becomes haunted by an evil spirit after she ends up playing with a Ouija board with a couple of her classmates. Um, you know, the general rules apply. They're not playing uh, the Ouija or the spirit board, if you will, you know, with, with the uh, designated rules that they're supposed to be using. They end up releasing something into their school, which ends up attaching itself to Veronica. And the movie just kind of goes along from there. Uh, this one is very much like Wanda the Dead in the sense that it's a guilty pleasure of mine. I think more people would probably um, say that this is, you know, something that might quote unquote deserve to be in a Spanish top 10. I know it's a little bit more modern and it doesn't really flip the script. It doesn't really do too many things differently. There, there was a couple of things that I did like about it that it did that, that was original. But for me, just the some of the demonic set pieces just worked really, really well. The creature design on the demon, which we don't see all that much throughout the film, but we do see him here and there, is uh, you know very off-putting. I mean, just a, just a great creature design on that one. Some really great performances from teenage girls, because obviously these girls are in um, high school. Um, and you know, whenever I see you know actors under the age of twenty that can actually give performances like this that actually you know get an emotion out of me then i'm always impressed it doesn't matter what country they come from so um yeah this is probably going to be like the quieter film on my list as it's not the most bombastic um demonic possession film you've ever seen you know it's absolutely not you know the cleansing hour or, or anything too spectacular like that but um, again, anyone who knows me knows I love slow I, I love slow burns and I do absolutely adore demonic possession stories. So, yeah, um, this one's kind of another no-brainer for me. That is a Veronica at number eight. So my number seven is Veronica from 2018. <laughs> um, <There's>... I'm. <laughs> yeah, um, th this one just absolutely worked for me. Um, I cannot disagree with anything you said. Um, it's not, you know, it's not reinventing the wheel. It's not, you know, doing anything original that we haven't seen in dozens of others. I mean, I can probably list off, you know, about 50,000 films that uh, kind of utilized a lot of the tropes and topics that this goes through. But I don't necessarily need originality when the, you know, effectiveness is, uh, mm -hmm. it, you know, the, like you said, the, the, the sequences in here are just effective. I mean, the, the finale in that house is just fantastic. I love the, you know, the final two thirds of this is just an absolute blast. And I mean, I mean, like you said, you know, it's just so well done and it's, you know, it 
doesn't play by anything that hasn't been done before, but it does it well. Yes, and absolutely. That's you know that works every now and then, and uh, it works here. So. Yeah, yeah, before you joined Fresh Cuts, um, I remember Mike and I used to get in the conversations about originality and things like that, and you know, tr trying to kind of, you know, make films outside of the box, not make them as tropey as you know usual things like that. And I and I remember getting into conversations with Mike where I said the exact same thing you just said. I don't necessarily need a 100% original story if what you give me is solid, if the set pieces are effective, if the performances are you know watchable if the filmmaking skills are on point you know great editing great um score great cinematography things like that and veronica has all of that so yeah you're right it does it absolutely does not reinvent the wheel but despite that it's a really nice wheel that we get out of it <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> couldn't have put it any better <laughs> Uh, so, oh yeah, so I'm I'm sorry, we were yeah. both talking about Veronica, so I kind of got lost there for a second. Okay, <laughs> no, no worries. <laughs> <laughs> My number seven is a uh, a film that actually got some Oscar attention, if I remember correctly. It, it was actually nominated for best foreign film. It was either best foreign film or uh, I forget which, but it did. It does have an Oscar nomination. Uh, this is starring Mr. Antonio Banderas. Uh, this is coming to you from 2011. I believe this is coming from Mexico, if I remember correctly. No, no, this is another Spanish film. No, we are we are talking Spain once again, the homeland, my homeland. For those who don't know, uh, so this is of course 2011's The Skin I Live In. Now. A lot of people might look at this and not call it horror, and that's valid if you look at this film as more of a psychological thriller or, you know, whatever you want to go with, that's fine. But considering what first first what happens to Antonio's character, the doctor, you know, when he has to deal with his daughter who's recently been raped, um, that's a horror show in and of itself. But then um, Antonio Banderas, of course, playing uh, Robert Ledgerd, who is a plastic surgeon. I'll leave that to your imagination. Uh, he basically decides to get revenge on the rapist, on his daughter's rapist. And let's just say it's a very, very interesting form of revenge. Um, this is a movie that I just do not want to spoil. Th this movie has to be experienced. If you have any interest in Spanish you know, thrillers, you know, borderline horror, I would strongly suggest this one. Once again, you've got great performances. Um, Antonio Banderas, uh, you know, what can you say about the man? He's he's great in almost everything he's in, especially if it's Spanish language when he's in his, you know, in his native element. Um, the performances here of the, you know, the rapist, the daughter, um, the women involved, uh, just, you know, the, the rapist actually has a family. Um, I'm sorry, when I say the women involved, I don't mean his victims. This guy isn't a career rapist. He actually just rapes the doctor's daughter on, you know, a drunken just, you know, happenstance. Um, but he actually does have a family. He's got a mother and a sister who care about him. And so it's really kind of weird to watch this movie. And, you know, when it's flip flopping be between stories where you're kind of following the family of the rape victim and then you're kind of following the family of the rapist for a little while. But like I said, the, the, the high point of this film really is in its twist. When you when you get that reveal of just what this doctor decides to do to this rapist to try to get revenge. It, it is just, ah, oh, it's mm, mm, chef's kiss, my friends. It, it is just, it's so petty and vindictive. And anyone who knows me knows I enjoy myself a good, petty, vindictive horror movie character. And 
Antonio Banderas's Robert Ledger is exactly that. So yeah, my number seven is the skin I live in, or in Spanish, la piel del obito. Nice. Um, I first saw it when it, uh, right around when it came over here. Um, a lot of people were talking about it. I, I didn't find it horror enough at the time, but um, I'm definitely willing to give it a revisit because I, 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 I have kind of shifted a lot of um, what I've sort of deemed horror over the years. Um, so it's one of those that I've kind of been uh, keen to, you know, give it another watch and uh, give it a try. Uh, because yeah, I I know that there's a lot of people that have been talking about it, so it's uh, definitely one that I'm kind of intrigued about just to see how I differently I'd feel. So, <laughs> yeah, I was late to the party on this one. I actually didn't even watch this until 2020 when I was part of the people under the or the podcast under the stairs uh, summer series. That was the first time I'd ever watched this movie, and it floored me. It absolutely blew me away. I I loved almost every second of it, even the really, really gross parts. And when I say gross, I'm not talking about viscera. I'm talking about other stuff. I'll leave it to your imagination. But yeah, yeah. Um, I'll, I'll never argue with anyone who says this isn't horror. If you want to call it a drama mystery thriller, that's fine. I'm very okay with that because ultimately it's a spectacular drama mystery thriller. So, And that is why it is here in my top 10 at the number seven spot. So, yeah. Nice. All right. So uh, moving on for me, um, moving on to uh, number six. This is a Chilean movie. Uh, we're going to go visit uh, South America, actually, um, not just for this one, but uh, for my next two picks. Uh, this is 2018's Trauma. <laughs> When you start a film with a man uh, being forced to rape his mother and uh, he ends up taking it into his own hands and carrying on the torture when nobody else, when everybody else around him decides, okay, you've had enough and he keeps doing it, you've won me over. Um, you get the, that in the the opening credits or uh, before the opening credits. So I was uh, on board with this one pretty much immediately. Uh, vile, gross, you just over the top uh, villains in this, you know, it's basically a rape revenge movie. Um, this guy and uh, his friends are just wandering the countryside and they come across a group of girls, you know, partying out in the you know countryside just out on holiday and uh, basically never leave the girls alone, uh, you know, trying to torture them and taunt, taunt them and, you know, just do whatever they want to. And then, you know, the girls start fighting back. So not necessarily as uh, in-depth as uh, I Spit on Your Grave, but um, just as fun, just as uh, cathartic. You know, given that uh, Spanish twist with um, the brutality and all the, uh, you know, associated sleaze that goes along with it, I had a lot of fun with it. Um, it was definitely mm -hmm. one that just absolutely stuck with me. Uh, even more so since I got to uh, talk to both the director and uh, one of the stars in the film. So uh, I've Ah, been Lucio, cool. Yeah, um, I got to talk with him, uh, and uh, then the uh, main girl, the one that, because uh, I, I think the the follow-up film from this one was uh, that uh, anthology we covered, uh, Ill Final Contagion. Oh, right. Indeed. And then, uh, yeah, the uh, girl in that one, um, I've been friends with her for several years uh, because I talked with her for this one. So, Very uh, cool. Yeah, uh, kind of, uh, you know, a little sentimentality pick for there, but um, if you watch this on your own without that involved, uh you're going to be in for a fun time or I shouldn't say fun time. I should yeah. say, a, yeah, it's, it's a good, it's a good one. Um, I have a love hate relationship with rape revenge movies. 
I hate the first half of the movie and I almost always love the second half of the movie. Um, obviously, you know, as any normal person, I am not a fan of rape and watching it, even simulated rape on film, just it just turns my stomach. So um, whenever I watch movies like this, be they all the way back to, you know, I spit on your grave and fast forward to 2018's Revenge. Um, I always say I don't like this subgenre as much. I always say I, I tend to say that it's my least favorite subgenre of horror, yet I always watch them and I almost and they always leave me floored. They almost always leave me floored. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. And this one's no different. And, you know, obviously, you know, with the Spanish language, it kind of makes it feel more like home for me and uh, these great performances. And yeah, this is just another brutal film to have to watch. And yeah, Jesus, Don, that opening scene, uh, you're absolutely right. As you said, you, what's funny is that you said I'm on board and I almost quit the movie after that. That kind of shows uh, where we're both coming from. But I mean, I stuck with it, it and it really is a great film. It is a very, no pun intended, traumatic film to have to watch. <laughs> And, uh, oh, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, the final 10 minutes of this are just absolutely crushing. So, mm -hmm. exactly. yeah. And I, I meant on board by, okay, let's see. Oh, no. you... Yeah. <laughs> uh, mine wasn't all right. You know, just... <laughs> I absolutely understand that. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm definitely not calling you a voyeur by any stretch. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Mine was more uh, of a, oh, oh, okay. Let's see where, where this goes. Um, but yeah, uh, if you can make it past that uh, and you're in the mind mood for, uh, you know, rape revenge, this is definitely one for you. So number six on my list. There you go. All right. So my number six is going to be a movie. <laughs> Believe it or not, this is going to be the oldest movie on my list coming to you from 1995. Like I said, folks, I found out a lot about myself creating this list. I watched um, over the last month or so, I think I've watched 33 or 34 Spanish horror films. I'd say about eight of them were first time watches because I wanted to make sure that I got all the staples in that I may have missed over the years. And this is one that was I, I was actually turned on to this movie by Mr. Watson, a podcasting brother of ours from the old Horror Corridor show. Currently, I think you can hear him on Horror Movie Weekly and the Watt Z Party uh, that he has with uh, Mr. D uh, Dave Z from Exploding Heads, of course. So this film, when I heard Mr. Watson's review of it, I absolutely fell in love with it. Like I, I, I was willing to blind buy this movie based on just the description. Uh, from Mr. Watson, just from his review, the, the glowing review that he gave it. Um, I decided not to buy it. And I'm actually glad I did, because what I ended up what ended up happening is I ended up renting it, uh, you know, digitally on Amazon and absolutely falling in love with the film. I just it, it, it's it's an it's a Christmas staple for me. Maybe not Christmas Day. I don't really tend to watch a lot of horror on Christmas Day. I still tend to stick to the classic Christmas, um, you know, movies and specials. But during the month of December, this is an absolute must watch. And the reason I'm glad I didn't buy it right away was because right after I rented it, they announced the 4K release. And that's when I was like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to plop $40 down for this because Mr. Watson was 100% right. This movie is absolutely great. Once again, we're going into kind of horror comedy territory here. Um, 
And once again, we're talking about Spain. We also have some Italian language in this movie, as there are a couple of Italian characters, but the movie does take place in Madrid. And this film is El Dia de la Bestia, or otherwise known as The Day of the Beast, uh, from writer-director Alex de la Iglesia. This is such a great movie. It's at times it's hard to take the movie seriously because it's so funny early on and the and the the situations that the the father is going through the 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 priest our main character in the film especially later in the film where he actually goes to a heavy metal record store to try to get information about the devil from the clerk working there because of course all us metalheads know exactly how to conjure the devil. Um, but it ends up being one of the funniest scenes in the film and and even turns into a friendship where the father and this record store clerk end up spending the rest of the, the, the next few days together to kind of thwart what they think is going to be the apocalypse. I'll leave it at that for now because uh, this this has such a great ending. And it's one of those endings that's up for interpretation. You know what I mean? Like, you know, did all of this actually happen? Was it in the father's head? Did something else happen? But maybe we had an unreliable narrator situation. The ending is satisfying, but just vague enough that it keeps you thinking about what potentially all of it kind of meant. But yeah, the Day of the Beast, my friends, um, just an absolute fun time. Like I said, it definitely veers towards horror comedy, um, especially in the first half of the film. Uh, But man, and by the way, that 4K uh, Blu-ray, oh my God, the movie is just gorgeous. Better than it's ever looked, obviously, and all the special features. I can't recommend it enough, but yeah, that is my number six film, The Day of the Beast from 1995. Nice. Another one on my uh, honorable mentions list. Um, Yeah, the one, this was the one that I really wanted to, I really wanted to put on there, but yeah, I I just I don't like that you know just a vagueness that you know the ending gives you I, exactly yeah no it's true yeah. it's the ending's not for everybody yeah um that that uh, was like the main reason why but yeah I mean this one was kind of just like Deathgasm the first time I saw it, it yes. was kind of like it, it, you know this is just made for me but uh, I think Deathgasm just uh, it, it it hit me harder than this one did but. Yeah, overall, uh, I, I can't complain about it. Um, it. You know, I mean, it's still on my honorable mentions, but um, yeah, uh, move on to uh, number five. Uh, like I've mentioned, we were going to be in uh, South America, mm-hmm. and uh, this one is going to be Argentinian. Um, I went with Ataratos, or Terrified, <laughs> which uh, my giggle gives me away that uh, my bet was correct, and that was sort of a... Uh, yeah, you get, you get a dollar. That was... <laughs> That laugh uh, tells me that my bet from earlier is actually a viable one. So um, uh, I'll uh, just say my piece. Um, This one absolutely floored me when I first saw it. Um, Some of the greatest jump scares I've seen in contemporary horror. um, Absolutely just immaculate work with the way that they conjure up some of these sequences. Um, I just I. I just I loved it. Um, it, it. I fell in love with it the first time I saw it. Uh, it absolutely just it packs a punch. Yeah. And this, wow. Yeah. Um, for those that are, uh, are, you know, not necessarily the biggest fan of uh, quote unquote jump scare factories, this was probably going to be the one that'll uh, turn you around on that because, yeah, yeah, it, it's a jump scare factory, but it it's absolutely probably almost as good as uh, you know. It, 
I have no idea why this one never got um, more attention than it did because I, I feel kind of guilty leaving it at number five. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, I'll uh, save it for you. But um, number five for me is uh, Terrified. Or I should say uh, at those. Yeah, there you go. Um, I'm pretty sure we'll be talking about this one again, so I'll save my piece till we get to, to it on my list. But yeah, um, it, pretty obvious bet when I mention Argentina and one of my favorite Spanish language films of all time. Yeah, it's a safe bet. So yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's see. Number five. Uh, my number five film. My number five film is actually um, produced by my favorite director of all time. Uh, he did not direct this film. He did not write this film. He is just a producer on it. For those who don't know, my favorite director of all time is Mr. Guillermo del Toro. Um, obviously, you know, stuff like Pan's Labyrinth and Chris Crimson Peak and obviously the Oscar, best picture Oscar winning uh, Shape of Water and the almost best picture winning Nightmare Alley from just this past year. Uh, the man's resume is second to none. But like I said, he did not direct this movie. I would imagine we may still hear his name uh, on this list, but I'll save that. But for my number five, it is El Orfanato or The Orphanage, um, written by Sergio Sanchez, directed by J.A. Boyana. I mean, what can I say about this film? This film is a gut punch. Just that ending... I, it, it, it's crazy that so many people tie the ending of this film to its popularity, a, a lot like Sleepaway Camp. Like a lot of people don't even remember the majority of Sleepaway Camp, but they remember that ending. And The Orphanage is another one of those movies where if, you, if you're a human being in any way, shape or form, that ending is a goddamn gut punch to, to, to watch just a mother's greatest fear just take form right in front of her and it's kind of her fault too ah uh, i just yeah i'm sorry this movie just it checked off so many boxes for me this is probably one of the best uh performed films in my list probably like the second best in my opinion just these performances are spectacular um the mother laura the father carlos just you know the the once again the tour de force performance from this mother who once again is showing off just every emotion possible and then of course you know the, the mystery of the orphanage itself and the perceived ghosts that may live there um, yeah, this movie just does so much for me. It, it is, it, it's a truly, um, a near masterpiece for me. I mean, I, I, I love every frame of this film. Um, I have no complaints about it. Uh, it's, it's just, oh God, it almost brings me to tears just thinking about it. And I'm not even a fucking parent. Think about that. I'm not a parent. And this ending floors me. I couldn't imagine an actual parent watching this and just the, the flood of tears that would probably come out. But yeah, um, that, you know, the, the orphanage at number five um, probably deserves to be higher on my list, but um, the movies above it are pretty much all 10 out of 10s for me. And I would probably call the orphanage a 10 out of 10. I mean, it, there's, as I said, there's not a wasted frame in here. Whew. Oh man. <laughs> uh, I'm getting flustered just talking about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I know the feeling. Um, I was, I was, uh, thinking of this one very heavily once I kind of knocked the, uh, you know, Brazilian ones off. Um, this was one that I was really looking at, but as much as you 
sort of uh, praise uh, the ending. That's kind of the reason why it fell off. Just uh, I'm not in the mood to cry at horror films. <laughs> and, you know, damn it, it got me in Train to Busan. I vowed that that was going to be the only one that did it just because it's the zombie film. But yeah, um, that's sort of the reason why, um, even though I have uh, structurally no issues with it, the fact that it does, um, it kind of was the reason why. <laughs> But um, yeah, uh, the rest of this film is fantastic. Um, I mean, I mean, you you know, you said it best. It's just you know spectacular, and uh, you know the mystery is just absolutely engaging. The ghosts are you know they're not, they're secondary, but they're you know they're still terrifying when they pop up. And yeah, um, I, I mean, you know, we can spend as much time as we want on the ending. I mean, I get why you love it and I'm not sure. at all surprised why mm -hmm. just, uh, you know, for me, that's not necessarily why. So. Sure. I mean, I yeah. understand that people don't go into a horror movie to, to be sad. I mean, that's the, and it's the same thing with me. I don't look for these kind of films, but you got to realize guys, I'm, I'm an old man. I'm, I'm a, I'm hardened. I very little gets a lot of emotional um, response out of me. And when a horror movie, a legitimately, you know, um, I wouldn't say terrifying, but a legitimately scary horror film that at the end leaves me a blubbering idiot. I, to me, I have to stand and applaud. I mean, it, it's just an absolute achievement for these guys that they turned a, a they turned a basic haunted house story into a Shakespearean tragedy. And holy shit, is it successful? I totally understand that this isn't for everyone. Um, I'm sure a lot of people are starting to realize how much I enjoy dramatic horror from some of the films on my list. You know, there, there's not as much quote unquote fun horror movies on my list. They're definitely more emotional and dramatic but when a movie does that to me it's few and far between and i have to praise it every time and yeah the orphanage has gone down is one of my favorites yeah um i mean you said it best I, i'm more of the fun horror fan so um sure I, yeah that kind of uh i think perfectly sums it up <laughs> so let's try this uh little experiment of mine in pronunciations with uh native languages because I think this is going to be the tongue twister amongst all tongue twisters that I'm going to promote. Um, my number four, non si deve profanare il sonno de morte, or <laughs> the living dead at Manchester Morgue. Nice. Um, yeah, uh, I absolutely love this. Um, you know, Spanish Italian, so uh, you know, it's still predominantly Spanish, still predominantly from Spain, but. Uh, Basically, a uh, small little uh, machine that uh, is uh, intended to uh, produce this ultrasonic ray around uh, crops and, uh, you know, flowers and stuff that uh, is supposed to drive bugs away ends up reviving the dead. And uh, they go on a rampage in the countryside, which uh, gets this uh, couple involved with this police officer who's uh, unaware of the zombie mayhem and just blames the couple as the culprits in the murders. So it's a fun little uh, dueling backstory. Uh, you know, you get the, you know, the hardened cop trying to track them down and, uh, you know, pen these crimes on the, this couple. But then, you know, you got the zombie rampage in the midst of everything. And uh, it doesn't really, you know, coalesce until the end, but uh, it's still a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's, you know, very heavily, uh, you know, Night of the Living Dead. It's uh, still very much into that, you know, kind of mindset. And I'm a big fan of that. So, uh, you know, you you don't really get like the extravagant 
you don't get like the extravagant stuff that the Italians would do later in the decade, but mm-hmm. yeah, um, I, I still had an absolute blast with this one. Um, fantastic set pieces, not as much gore. I mean, like I said, it's not as extravagant, but uh, you know, the gore is fantastic when we get it. Great set pieces, a lot of uh, you know, fun little zombie confrontations. Even the uh, you know small little uh, main zombie with uh, you know the guy that they come out of the river. They uh, I don't remember uh, much. I think it was a guy that drowned that they were never able to find the body, and uh, he's basically one of the you know main zombies uh, from there on out. So fun little uh, you know main zombie for those that uh, prefer that. But uh, overall, an absolute blast. Mm-hmm. Definitely one for those that uh, are in, you know, the old school zombie mode, you know, slow shuffling, just, you know, the relentlessness, you know, approaching that don't, don't really, uh, you know, let up and all that. But uh, definitely give this one a watch. It's uh, it's an absolute blast. Yeah, this and one other film were the only quote unquote classic Spanish horror films that almost made my top 10. Um, oh, and by the way, uh, not bad on the pronunciation. You didn't butcher it nearly as bad as you think. Um, uh, but, I always get that uh, il profanar, you know. Il, yeah. That's no. always, yeah, that's uh, always the stuff that uh, gets me. But uh, yeah. I hear you, yeah. But this one and Tombs of the Blind Dead are the two movies that almost made my top 10. Like, I, I watched them both this week or last week or sometime in the last couple of weeks. And um, yeah, I wanted to put them on there so bad because I am a huge Night of Living Dead fan. I tell everybody all the time, it's the first horror movie that I ever took seriously. I saw it at nine years old. I had already seen some horror movies up to that point. Stuff like Horror Hospital, Blood Eaters, you know, some some of the lesser known horror films of the early 70s. Um, but yeah, this one, uh, and then like I said, Night of the Living Dead being the first movie, the first horror movie that I really looked at as a serious horror film, not like a B movie. Even though, for all intents and purposes, Night of the Living Dead is kind of a B movie. At the time, it was revolutionary, and um, it spoke to me in a lot of ways. And so, Let Sleeping Corpses Lie, same thing. Absolutely love this film. And Tombs of the Blind Dead is just another one. I've already talked about how much I love zombies. And the only two classic horror Spanish horror films that almost made my list are both zombie films. So, that kind of says how much I love the subgenre. So, yeah, great choice on this one. Cannot disagree. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so for me, uh, where are we? We're on number four. So for me, number four, I just got finished talking about emotional uh, Spanish horror, and here we go again with another ending that kind of left me floored. Not nearly the gut punch that uh, uh, The Orphanage is, but this one, you know, for being a more modern film, um, just just worked for me in every way. In fact, it is my number one film of 2019. So if you if you if you've been listening to me for that long, you might already have an idea what this is. But this is one that just came out of nowhere for me. Um, this is a writer director that I had never heard of before this point, and now she is literally one of my favorite that you know one of my favorite writer directors coming out of um, Mexico. And that is, of course, Isa Lopez, uh, which makes this film, Tigers Are Not Afraid. Um, This is one that, once again, had enough fantasy elements in it and dramatic elements in it that some people may argue it's not horror. There's very obviously horror elements in it. I mean, there's an actual ghost, 
you know, there's a scene with dead bodies, right, you know, getting up, rising. Um, but ultimately, this is a movie set around uh, the Mexican drug cartel, basically uh, a group of kids trying to survive without parents, a group of orphans, I should say, trying to survive in a city controlled by the Mexican cartel, where they literally will just snatch people off the street in the middle of the day and do whatever, make them slaves, sex slaves, torture them, have fun with them. I mean, Lord knows what. And kids are one of the biggest, um, you know, targets of the Mexican cartel in this particular town. Um, our titular, oh, not our titular, but our our main actress uh, who plays Estrella, who, if you don't know that Estrella is star in Spanish, so her name is Star, which is very pretty. Uh, she, uh she early on in the film, unfortunately, she kind of loses her mother to an attack from the Mexican cartel, leaving her as an orphan. Um, she ends up meeting this group of kids led by Shine, um, a, a weird name I know, but yeah, he calls himself Shine, and he's the leader of just this gang of just adorable orphans who, you know, one minute are just a bunch of adorable kids playing soccer, and then another minute they're attacking a, a drug lord. You know, so it's it's definitely. Um, the main gist of the movie is about these kids living on the street, but, you know, our climax does definitely go into the horror realm. Uh, I won't get into the specifics of that one, but, uh, this is another one that I kind of caught a little bit of heat for, uh, making it my number one of the year, because as I've said, um, I actually appeared on, um, the 22 shots of moods and horror top 20 episode or top 10 episode for 2019. And believe it or not, one or two of the hosts on that show actually gave me some shit for making this my number one of the year. But you know what? It's always my list and it's always about the movies that move me. Um, yes, there's there's a place for fun, visceral horror for, you know, blood fests and everything like that. And that's cool. And I love those movies still. I mean, I am I am solidly a child of the 80s, um, born in the 70s, but solidly a child of the 80s. So slashers and all the great monster movies and sci fi horror and everything else of the 80s all speaks to me. But it just seems as as I've gotten older, I've uh, developed an appreciation for some of the more dramatic horror and Tigers Are Not Afraid is no, ex no absolutely no exception. This this is um, it's a work of art to me. To me, it's an absolute ten out of ten. Once again, it's a short movie. It's only an hour and twenty minutes long, yet you get so much in this film. I mean, the pace is almost frantic at times, but then other times, like I said, the kids will take a break from their horror-filled lives to play soccer in an abandoned mansion and it's just the most adorable scene and i love it um so yeah tigers are not afraid i can't say enough good things about this isa lopez's next movie which will be produced by guillermo del toro is a cowboy werewolves movie which sounds absolutely scrumptious to me especially coming from this director so yeah um, looking forward to that one, but yeah, I can't say enough good things about this movie. Tigers are not afraid. Another emotional journey for me. Um, this one, it's not just about the ending. There are multiple gut punches throughout this film. Obviously when your main protagonist is a group of children and they're dealing with a real, you know, a, a potentially real world Mexican cartel. Yeah. My friends, uh, the movie gets dark. It gets very, very dark, but yeah. Um, I got to shut up about this one because this is one of the films on my list that I could talk about for two hours and, <laughs> and, and still have more to say about it. So yeah. Number four, tigers are not afraid. 
Yeah, I saw it once um, when it came out uh, doing year-end prep. I didn't consider it horror enough, but um, I'm not going to split hairs. It's close enough. I mean, yeah, you've got, yeah. you know, you've got a ghost, yeah. you've got, like I said, dead bodies rising from the grave, if you will. I mean, there yeah. are elements there. Like I said, I won't argue with anybody who says it's not horror, but yeah. it's adjacent. So I'll take it. Yeah, uh, it's close enough. I'm not going to split hairs for it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, um, I'm not going to, you know, throw a JP at you, but... Um, <laughs> Thank you! <laughs> and I just took a guess and figured that was going to be him, but... Uh, oh, yeah, it's not yeah. hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, moving on, um, we're going to go with uh, my number three. This is uh, my ultimate, hands-down, favorite Mexican horror film of all time. 1990s Ladrones de Tumbas, Grave Robbers. Um, I, I just, I absolutely love this movie. Um, it's just a, a simple classic slasher film. Basically a group of kids, uh, stumble across this, uh, old knight that's buried in the, uh, grave beneath this, uh, abandoned cemetery. And he basically just comes to life and begins killing them off one by one. Um, I, I, I first saw this, uh, when I was in a, uh, middle of a Mexican horror kick, um, Basically, there was a, a small period of time where uh, I, I really wasn't a um, lot of um, Spanish of uh, Mexican horror. So it was so uh, Mexico was kind of a, a small little blind spot. And I realized that there was a, a TV station that I had that aired um, a whole bunch of Mexican TV, um, not just, you know, horror, but. You know, a lot of dramas, a lot of comedies, a lot of uh, other stuff. So I always tried to make sure that I got to uh, the horror stuff when I could. And this was one of them. And I just absolutely was floored by this. Um, just it just oozes atmosphere. There's just so much, you know, gothic uh, ambiance here. The scenes with the night coming back to this uh Knight, uh, and I mean like a, a knight figure, you know, he's got the robe, he's got the, you know, the cross on him, and he's got all kinds of, you know, he looks apart, basically, but, um, you know, he comes to life and he just starts running muck. The gore in this is fantastic. The kills are brutal. It's just a fun, fast-paced film. I absolutely love this. Um, yeah, uh, this to me is uh, one of my favorite films of the 90s. Um like I said, it's nineteen. It's uh, nineteen ninety, so uh, you know it fits in the nineties. But I've always been a fan of this one, uh, so much so that it's actually one of the uh, few films that I own the uh, Blu-ray for. Um, I have the. Uh, I actually managed to track down uh, Vinegar Syndrome's version, and uh, it includes the slipcase. So that's how much I enjoy this film. Nice. So yeah, uh, <laughs> it's one that uh, it kind of has you know a little bit of sentimentality just because it was one of the first ones that I saw when I. Like I said, wanted to uh, expand my knowledge of, uh, you know, horror internationally and uh, started picking Mexico. So, um, yeah, uh, my number three, Grave Robbers, uh, just an absolute. Uh, I, I always recommend this for people wanting to check out underrated uh, slasher films. So uh, if you can give it a shot. Awesome. Yeah, this is one I must have missed. Um it doesn't even sound like something that I had heard about at the time, but I mean, I'm always down for some Mexican horror. And if it's this high on your list, I'm going to call that a must watch. So yeah, I'll be looking out for that one. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's definitely, like I said, it's a fun, fast paced film, tons of gore, lots of kills, great atmosphere. Yeah. It, it's a blast. 
Very cool. All right. So getting into my top three now. Uh, on my number three film, uh, we've actually already talked about it. It is our first double go figure of our top 10. Oh, no, and Veronica was also a double. So it's our second double of yeah. the top 10. And that is, of course, Argentina's Aterados or Terrified. This goddamn movie. Once again, this is a movie that hits a lot of things that I love about horror. I'm a big fan of anthologies. And this movie, though not really set up like a traditional anthology, still works so well as one. Because basically, the, the whole movie takes place in one neighborhood. And it's just all these different supernatural events that are going on, you know, to different people within this neighborhood. And it all comes down to just this great over-the-top finale. And let me tell you something about this movie, folks. Don, uh, Don mentioned earlier about how you know, there are, you know, some jump scares in here and how a lot of people kind of poo-poo jump scares. I 100% agree with Don. Every single one in here works. And this movie also has a great balance of the two things that I was talking about, fun horror and the more dramatic horror, because this film still has some spectacular performances. The very opening scene of this film has a husband watching his wife get absolutely decimated by some kind of invisible force. And the the performance that he gives in that scene is absolutely heart-wrenching. As a husband, I put myself in that in his shoes and I don't know what the hell I would do either. Like, you know, you're grabbing at your wife who's floating and being thrown around a room, but it's like, you're absolutely helpless. This is the love of your life getting thrown around to her death. And yeah, uh, that's just, and that's like the opening scene of the goddamn film. And, it, and the, and the movie never relents. It slows down a little bit. Um, no complaints here. Obviously, once we get to a segment about a mother with her son returning from the grave, um, the movie slows down a little bit, but it, it the, the intensity of it doesn't slow down. It's still an incredibly tense, scary segment. And let me tell you one other thing that I'll say about this movie. My wife, for those who don't know, is not a horror fan. My wife tolerates horror. She will watch it periodically with me. I don't force her to watch the more intense horror um watching this for the first time for fresh cuts i didn't know what the movie because you know anybody who listens to me also knows i don't watch trailers i don't read synopses before i watch the film i don't read reviews or articles i try to go into my films as absolutely blind as possible so i actually did watch this with this smooth uh with my wife now folks when my wife does watch horror with me it's usually more funny to her like i mean she's the kind of person that could watch texas chainsaw and laugh when that girl gets hung on a hook. This is this is the kind of uh, mentality that my wife has, and I love her to death for it. At the end of this film, there is a monster that comes running out of the house onto the street, chasing one of our main characters who's getting into their car. This is the first time I've ever seen my wife react to a horror film. And not only did she react, my friends, she jumped up on the couch and screamed, what the fuck is that? I've never heard my wife do that ever. And I almost missed it because she said that because I was in such shock. I turned my head to look at her and I almost missed the monster myself. But uh, to, to get that kind of reaction from someone who really doesn't care about horror movies at all, um, it just it just speaks to this movie and, you know, what they're able to uh, do, how they're able to affect their audience and. 
I can't say enough good things about this movie. Once again, an absolute 10 out of 10. One of my favorite movie posters ever. I absolutely love uh, the titula- the creature that I'm talking about at the end of the film is on the movie poster. And it and <laughs> again, no pun intended, it is absolutely fucking terrifying. And Terrified is a perfect perfect title for this film it may be you know kind of hokey to some people kind of corny but and and admittedly i thought that myself when i first heard it i'm like terrified really that's the name of a movie okay and then i walk away and it's literally a top three favorite spanish language horror film of all time and i don't think anything is going to bump it out of this top three i adore this film it it, i I uh, again i can't say enough good things about it every segment it works. Every moment of tension is effective. Um, it's gory. It's visceral. Yet still, you're getting great performances, drama, great score, great cinematography. I mean, yeah, this film is that, in my opinion, it is one of the most perfect balances of fun and dramatic horror that I've ever seen. So, yeah, I can't recommend it enough, folks. If you haven't seen it, do yourself a favor terrified out of argentina from 1917 uh excuse me 2017 yeah <laughs> oh 1917 good times yeah <laughs> um yeah um i mean i mean you you have it on your, it's the first one that we've actually doubled up on so uh it's there for a reason so <laughs> yeah so uh going on to the top two uh this is going to be the uh Oldies and goodies. Uh, both of these are uh, old school Spanish horror from the mid 70s. So um, you're probably going to maybe films, but you're not necessarily going to guess which one. So um, my first one at uh, number two, La Noche del Tierra Ciego, Tombs of the Blind Dead. There it is. Yeah, um, I knew like, like you said, uh, this one was going to be there. Um, for me, uh, this one absolutely has to be on there. Um, I even managed to uh, snag the um, version that has both uh, the U.S. and the international cut just because they're so different. But uh, the international version, the the original Spanish cut is just fantastic. Um, Basically, a woman just a woman on holiday. It's uh, meets up with an old friend of hers and uh, rekindles a romance, which uh, annoys her traveling companion to uh, the point that she actually decides to leave a moving train while they're taking a trip through the countryside where she visits this uh, abandoned monastery that uh, has some unearthly visitors that uh, prowl the grounds at night when she doesn't come home. uh, Her the woman, her friend, her companion and a group of uh, other unsavory locals get together to go look for her and meet the same fate that she did. So um, title kind of gives it away what's going on here, but um, I, uh, this is just an absolute treasure. Um, Probably I would say the most terrifying on-screen beings I've ever seen. Um, (laughs) I, I just absolutely adore the makeup on these uh, beings. And uh, I'm kind of leery towards calling them zombies just because they don't necessarily behave like true zombies. Uh, you know, they're st- they still rise from the dead. They're still just this huge, ongoing mass of creatures that uh, come after you and kill you. But uh, they use weapons. They don't eat flesh. And uh, they kind of go back into the ground at night and rest. 
So, uh, you know, they're not necessarily out during the day. So they're not necessarily under the same rules as zombies. But uh, considering the time period, it's 1971. You know, it's uh, still early enough in the genre's development that, you know, the the flesh-eating ghouls were basically just uh, introduced in uh, Night of the Living Dead. So it's not necessarily popular yet uh, because this actually manages to... Uh, you didn't realize it uh, beats uh, let the let sleeping corpses lie by a couple of years so mm-hmm. it's uh yeah it's the first uh hor- first zombie film from spain and it's the not necessarily the one that puts the uh, flesh eating on the map but uh it's still you know it's still a lot of fun uh great set pieces uh love the you know, like I said, the look of the creatures, the setting, the finale in the uh, train is just fantastic. A uh, mm-hmm. lot of great action, a lot of fun. Even you even have a uh, fun little Argento-inspired uh, stalking sequence uh, thrown in the middle of this for no reason, just to <laughs> add a little bit of variety in this. So it, it's a lot of fun. I absolutely love it. Atmosphere, gore, great creatures, Spanish sleaze. Can't beat it. So uh, my number two is Tombs of the Blind Dead. Yeah, this is this is one I was introduced to early by some of my older family members who were big fans of, you know, people like Paul Nashi and, and of course the director of this film, Amando Del Sorio. Um, I have to 100% agree with Don. Some of the most terrifying zombie designs we've ever seen. Um, just so effective. Um, you know, even though a lot of modern day zombie fans, especially younger ones, you know, f- folks in their 20s might look back at this and watch it and maybe not the movie might not be as effective for people like them. But, man, this movie is great. I, I think this movie is spectacular. As I said, what, one of the only two 70s movies that almost made my top 10, it's probably a it's probably right around 12 i'd say if i if i did like a top 15 list i would be talking yeah. about it but yeah i this film is spectacular it, it it almost pains me not to have it in my top 10 because of what it means to me early on like i said this was probably only the second or third zombie movie i'd ever seen and it was i mean if if i thought night of the living dead was scary this fucking movie just gave me nightmares for days uh just yeah so well done so well made and um uh, again a great pick at number two for don yeah awesome all right so for me my number two as uh some of you might remember i did mention earlier that my favorite director is guillermo del toro and of course one of his films has to show up on my list though surprisingly he is not at number one now Um, Obviously, he's had some spectacular films with just beautiful fantasy elements and set design. And obviously, people kind of lean towards Pan's Labyrinth and Crimson Peak for some of his more modern films. But for my top 10 list, I'm going a little farther back in his career. I'm going back to the film that he did just before, literally the year before he did his first American film, which was, of course, Blade Two, the the vampire film with uh, Wesley Snipes. That was, um, I believe, that was his first English language film that he directed and his first American film. So, you know, that's right around when he blew up, like literally just a year or two before, you know, the Hellboy pair of movies were to come out and make him an absolutely international star. And then, of course, Pan's Labyrinth. I mean, I, I, I happily will say that that is his masterpiece. I adore that film, but 
not quite horror enough for me. A lot of fantasy elements, some great creatures. And I will admit the pale man is fucking terrifying. I have just beyond terrifying. So um, there are horror elements there. Anybody who would put this on a horror, a, a Spanish horror top 10, I would never argue with them because fantasy in and of itself is kind of a blood brother of horror, if you will. So, yeah, but to, like I said, well, to be honest, I was actually kind of expecting you to put it there. So <laughs> I, I mean, I thought about it. Like I yeah, said, I, well, like I said, that was the reason why, because I'm I'm just like you. I absolutely loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's not horror enough for me on the list, but um, I was actually expecting it to be. <laughs> no, I hear you. No, I mean, so it's yeah, probably my favorite uh, Guillermo villain of any of his films. Uh, you know, the the uh, the uh, I forget what his rank was, but you know what I mean. Yeah. The main dude in the Spanish army there, just holy shit, just one of the. <laughs> One of the guiltiest pleasures ever of watching him die. I, I always say I don't like when, you know, horror movies throw in shitty characters just to be fodder for the killer. But in this one, this man, it made sense why he was such a scumbag. And obviously, I don't agree with it, but, you know, it did make yeah. sense in his own mind. So, uh, yeah, it, I will never argue that Pan's Labyrinth is his masterpiece. But. For my number two spot on my top 10 favorites horror films, I am going back to 2001 for what is my favorite ghost story of all time, regardless of country, American, Spanish, Italian, it doesn't matter. This is my favorite ghost story ever. This is um, El Espanzo del Diablo or The Devil's Backbone. Um, once again, this is a, you know a kind of a slower paced horror film, not a whole lot of set pieces. It's really more about developing these characters, you know, both the good and bad characters, um, developing the kids. And then, of course, the story of um, I think I I forget the name of the of the ghost in this one. Santi. Santi was the ghost in this one and developing his backstory. I mean, this this movie is genuinely a story driven horror film, but because he still, you know, has those great horror set pieces in here. And, you know, ultimately it is solidly a ghost story that you can't really discuss. It's not a war film, even though it does take place during the Spanish Civil War. Um, you, you know, you can make an argument that it's very dramatic, but it is still solidly a ghost story. And honestly, it's one of the first Guillermo movies I ever saw. I actually did see this when it was new. Um, believe it or not, my father turned me on to this because he was talking about this director, Guillermo del Toro, that you know he kind of likes. Um, he showed me Kronos, which I think was Guillermo's first genre film, um, which I do also love. Uh, and you got Ron Perlman in that one, so you got a little bit of uh, American DNA plugged in there, which is nice, you know, for us American fans to be able to see someone that we recognize, even though he is speaking Spanish through the whole film. Um, and man, Ron Perlman Spanish actually is not bad at all. But yeah, for me, Devil's Backbone is like the quintessential um, Guillermo del Toro horror story. You know, as much as I love Crimson Peak, as much as I love, you know, some of the other, um, you know, Kronos and stuff like that, Devil's Backbone just speaks to me. The setting, the bleak atmosphere. I mean, it looks like they're in the middle of a desert in that orphanage. The bomb, the unexploded bomb that's literally in the middle of their courtyard that's supposedly still a live bomb. It just didn't go off when the Axis powers dropped it um, during World War One. So it's still sitting there. Um, just 
and just everything about this film, our our protagonists, our antagonists, um, the mistress of the orphanage herself with her fake hollow leg, just ah, I absolutely love this film. The the mystery of it works for me, especially obviously on first watch. Um, the mystery works for me. Um, you know, all as I have already said, the performances, the backstory, the score. This score is epic, actually. I I absolutely love this score. If I could find this score on vinyl, I would absolutely buy it. It is a spectacular um, series of uh, pieces of music throughout this film. And I mean, again, uh, absolute 10 out of 10 for me. Um, not my favorite Guillermo, as we've already discussed. Pan's Labyrinth will pretty much always be my favorite Guillermo movie. But this one having a little bit more of a horror tinge to it, I think, was a little bit more appropriate for this list. So, yeah, at number two, my favorite director with The Devil's Backbone. Nice. That's on my honorable mentions. Um, I, I'm a fan of that one as well. Um, shockingly enough, I know it's not necessarily my cup of tea, but uh, yeah, I, I love that as well. Very cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's uh, like you said, it's just absolutely just it you know it it tells a different story and it was the i think it actually was the first time i'd actually seen a guillermo film so mm-hmm. yeah oh it always stuck out and i've always been a fan of it uh just ran out of slots unfortunately but um, <laughs> yeah yeah um so if you've uh, followed this list uh, up till now um you'll recognize that even though i've been a huge fan of you know, I said I've been a huge fan of uh, Spanish horror. I haven't have been able to put one of uh, Spain's national heroes on the list until now. So 1972's El Espanato Sergue de la Tumba, Horror Rises from the Tomb. <laughs> so Paul Nashi's masterpiece, um, it's it just absolutely fantastic. Um so he plays a uh, guy who uh, joins a group of his friends out uh, investigating the uh, cottage uh, that's uh, just recently been inherited to him from his uh, grandfather or father, I think. Um, he he just recently inherited it, and uh, he and his friends decide to uh, go visit it, see what the uh, property is like, and uh, you know decide what to do with it. And come to find out that buried on the ground is uh, the grave of Alaric de la or um marines i think uh marnak uh, marnak marnak that's yeah alaric del marnak who's mm-hmm. the uh who's a uh, cult leader back in the uh 16 or 1700s and basically was this uh all-powerful witch that just basically was you know the greatest terror that the country landscape had ever known and uh, soon comes under his influence and uh, tries to resurrect the terrible Marnak to uh, disastrous results. Um, it, this is just an absolute blast. Um, I had so much fun with this one. You know, Nashi is in prime form here. Um, I really, really wanted one of his werewolf films, but I just couldn't put it on there because I love this one that much more. Um just a fantastic set pieces, great all-around performances. You mix a little voodoo, you mix a little black magic, uh, you mix some sleaze in there, you get uh, a few zombie scenes, and uh, you even have a, a few soccer scenes, uh, some really slashing with, uh, you know, this strange killer going around that uh, plays this weird little uh, side story in the first half, um, just to throw a little extra weirdness in. Um, 
yeah this is just an absolute blast uh you know it's gothic it's gory it's got all kinds of uh you know different elements going on i had a, a blast with it and uh, it's definitely one to watch so anyone that's a fan of uh, spanish horror you need to watch Nashi. uh not just this one but uh anything from him i've seen is just an absolute blast and uh, this is my favorite one so made sense for me uh my number one is horror rises from the two yeah an- another spectacular selection um, one that wasn't quite in consideration for my top 10, but definitely a highly regarded film. I, I mean, Paul Nash, he's great. He is a national hero, if you will. And, you know, to the Spaniards like me, um, you know, I wasn't born in Spain, but I am a Spaniard by family. My parents were both born in Spain. So, yeah. Um, and they both uh, speak very highly of certain directors and Paul Nash, he is actually one of them. Um, you know, just Franco, guys like that. So, yeah, um, it cannot be denied that that's a great choice for number one. But for me, I, I'm i actually going to show a little bit of my true colors here. I'm going to pick what is probably the most basic bitch, number one Spanish horror film of all time. Uh, not to say that everybody would be in agreement with this, but I think a lot of people, especially maybe the less hardcore horror fans who have actually seen this film probably would agree that it is one of the the best ones. Um, I've already mentioned how much I adore zombies and infected stories. And then the other element of this film is of course found footage. And anyone who doesn't know, I love found footage. I even like the bad found footage films. Um, to me, found footage is one of the most effective filming techniques to immerse the audience into the film. You know, a lot of people might complain about the shaky camera and, you know, um, blurry shots and things like that. But ultimately, I mean, when you're in a situation like that, you're, you know, and you're holding a camera, you're not really concerned on focus. And that level of immersion just works for me. Obviously, with stuff like Cannibal Holocaust kind of started the trend, but Blair Witch Project absolutely blew my goddamn mind when i saw it i'm one of the people who champions that movie i'll die on that hill that the blair witch project is one of the scariest films ever made if you disagree with that statement that's fine Uh, you know all opinions are valid but it's the kind of thing that when it came to the blair witch project and many found footage movies like this you know because of that immersion level i tend to plug myself into the film and i'm and i'm you know whatever male character is there I tend to look at it as, okay, what would I do in this situation? Um, You know, would I be more effective than him? Things like that. So that does tend to affect my enjoyment of the film, the um, the decisions that are made in the film. Don, more than anyone, knows how much I can't stand terrible decision-making in horror films. It tends to bring down almost every movie um, where I deem it, you know, just terrible, stupid characters doing terrible, stupid things. but for whatever it's worth, this one just works for me once again in every way. It is my number one. It's very obvious that I am, of course, talking about Paco Plaza's 2007 masterpiece, Wreck. I mean, what can I say about this film? I've already said I love zombies. I love found footage. Um, I love Spanish language. Uh, this movie is visceral. It's gory. It's terrifying. I mean, there are legitimate scary moments here. Um, one of the early scenes when they go into that old woman's apartment and they only see her silhouette as it suddenly decides to attack them. Just so effective for me. 
Um, you know, the whole thing with the building getting quarantined and no one being allowed to leave just, you know, again, just seems like something uh, a shitty government official would decide to do in that situation rather than risk, you know, a, a full blown epidemic in their city. But you're basically dooming everyone in this building to the most horrible, painful deaths possible. And it all culminates in one of the most tense found footage scenes ever set to film. I mean, that final scene with our first infected or, you know, depending on if you go with that, these are zombies or go with the more wreck two explanation that they potentially might be demons, whatever the case may be, that final scene of the first film leading right up to the final frame of the film, which we've all seen in the trailer of our main and uh, protagonist getting dragged away in the darkness. Um, this movie just absolutely works for me. I adore it. It's an absolute 10 out of 10. Um, I watch this movie probably three times a year and I, and it gets better every goddamn time. So yeah. Um, as basic bitch as this decision is my number one Spanish horror film of all time is wreck. So, um, I'll be completely honest here. I haven't seen any of them. Hmm. Interesting. It's really yeah. a matter of how much found footage you can stand, because if you don't like found footage, I wouldn't recommend them. No, well, it's not necessarily that. I, I don't mind it. I'm, I mm -hmm. tolerate it. Um, to me, it's just another storytelling vehicle. I'm perfectly comfortable with it. It's just, it's like every other genre. I'm, you know, I've seen crappy ones. I've seen good ones. Yeah. It, mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm not put off by it, but uh, it's always been one of those. I've never been able to get my hands on it. Mm. So um, I was uh, the first time I was able to uh, do so was the uh, Scream Factory box set, but uh, it was a little expensive uh, when it first dropped. So um, I've kind of been waiting uh, around a little bit just to uh, make sure that it's um, affordable enough that uh, I can justify splurging on it. Yeah, it's, it's actually pretty good. I mean, it's a good series. I think the first two are absolutely great because the second one is really just more of a continuation of the first so it it fits so, right in yeah so i've heard um, and then three I, three uh wreck three is where they kind of start to veer away from the found footage like a majority of the film is still found footage but then at one point in the film it kind of transitions to a full production film you know with the, with your standard camera shots and everything which is kind of I, it, it's a little weird especially when you're used to this franchise um but overall, I think this is a great series. All four films are watchable, but the first two are absolute classics. Yeah, that would, um, I've heard that. Um, for me, it was just a matter of uh, getting my hands on them legally. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, that was always uh, the struggle for me to uh, try to find them. So uh, I'm definitely interested. Um, you know, I, I'm not opposed to found footage. Uh, I'm a huge zombie fan, so um, I'm definitely intrigued i i just haven't been able to get to him so um i would absolutely have no doubt that my list would change had uh this been viewed before but um unfortunately it's not so no, no um yeah um if i change if i uh, can get my hands on them and uh do this again next year my list would probably change but <laughs> yeah as of now um i can't say i've seen them um i i have seen the two american ones quarantine and the quarantine two <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't mind. I don't mind them, but um, I'm, I'm definitely aware that there's a uh, drop off of quality. So, yeah, the first I mean, quarantine isn't terrible. It's basically a shot for shot remake of Wreck. 
um, you know, just with American actors, obviously. It's still very watchable. It's just they don't really change anything about the story. The ending is literally shot for shot the exact same. Mm. So, you know, it kind of takes a little bit away from it. Um, but I, I, there's still some good performances in there. Quarantine 2 is kind of where I got to draw the line that I just did not enjoy that movie very much at all. It had its moments, but yeah, yeah. I, I I don't remember much about it. Um, I I've basically seen them once, so yeah, same. yeah. But um, yeah. Um, since uh, we're done with the list, um, go ahead and do some uh, final mentions real quick. Um, my as Venom mentioned, uh, he had two on mine. So um, the other ones that I had were uh 1967's frankenstein's bloody terror or um as uh, more commonly known in uh spain la marca del hombre lobo the first mm -hmm. of the paul nashi uh, valdemar daninsky films and i also had a uh another one on here um 1981's the night of the werewolf or uh oh, la noche yeah. el retorno del hombre lobo which uh I, kind of an odd choice, but um, I, I've always been a fan of that one. Uh, it, it's it's always been uh, one of my favorites in the the series. Um, so yeah, um, I mean, as mentioned, uh, he kind of picked off a couple of my other ones, but um, we'll uh, leave it at that. Uh, if you have any other honorable mentions you want to uh, shout out uh, real quick. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll just because I've I've actually got like four or five, but I'll just I you know I won't get into too much detail. Uh, 2019's The Platform was a Netflix exclusive the, uh, that year. We did review it on Fresh Cuts, and it did end up on my top 10 list for that year. Just a, a, definitely a different kind of horror film. Once again, this is one of those films that if somebody argued that it wasn't horror, I wouldn't necessarily disagree with them. But, you know, there is some pretty visceral death in here. Obviously, the movie takes place in a prison, which is, you know, in and of itself a horrible situation. And the ending, which I know was rather contentious, a lot of people were not happy with that ending. I absolutely loved it. I thought it was the perfect ending, but, um, and that is still available on Netflix. So check that out. It is the platform in Spanish. It's called El Hoyo. Um, next would be Julia's Eyes uh, from 2007. Uh, this is a, once again more, this one does go into the slasher territory a little bit, but the first half of the film is very solidly psychological thriller. Um, it is the story of Julia. She is a woman who has a degenerative eye disease, so she's slowly going blind to the point where eventually she will be completely blind, and she's well aware of this. Uh, she's basically trying to solve the murder, uh, not the murder, but uh, basically her sister commits suicide, her twin sister, uh, actually, who was already blind. Both of the sisters have this uh, degenerative disease, but the sister, you know, went blind first. Uh, she ended up committing suicide, but Julia doesn't believe that her sister committed suicide. So the mystery kind of goes from there. This is a little bit of a long one. This movie is a solid two hours. But if you're a fan of thrillers, I would highly recommend it. Um, the reason it didn't make my top 10 is that I'm not as satisfied with the ending. Not necessarily the final scene, but I mean like the finale, the grand finale where Julia finally meets her antagonist and, you know, they duke it out. I wasn't real happy with how that ended. The final scene of the film I actually do love. I, I think it's just a beautiful sentiment, but I'll leave that at that. Um, 
Next would be time crimes. Now this one, <laughs> I'm starting to feel a theme here. Once again, not really horror, though you could make an argument that it dips into the slasher genre. Um, this is actually a sci-fi thriller. It is, um, it, it's about time travel. Basically a gentleman um, is uh, chased by a slasher, a killer in who wears head bandages to cover his face. He ends up hiding out in a scientific laboratory where they actually have a time machine. He asks the technician there to just hide him. All he says is, hide me, I'm being chased by a killer. And of course, he ends up jumping into the time machine. It goes off. He ends up getting sent back into time only an hour and a half. But it turns into this just wonderful cat and mouse story uh, between this killer, um, our protagonist, Hector, and then even, dare I say, different versions of Hector. Um, and I will leave it at that. That is Time Crimes. Once again, if you're into sci-fi thrillers, check that one out. One that I reviewed recently on No More Room in Hell is Witchin' and Bitchin' from, I believe it's from 2013. Um, once again, this is Alex de la Iglesia, the director of Day of the Beast, which did make my top 10. And based on the title, you can tell it's a movie about witches and they are bitching. And the, the, the title actually is rather perfect. It is a horror comedy, so it's a very fun movie. And it actually gets more fun when it gets to the actual horror of the film. Like the, the first part of it is funny, you know, with this guy who robs jewelry stores with his young son uh, under tow. So, you know, the story kind of devolves from there. But yeah, Witchin' and Bitchin', great movie, weird title. And then the last one I'll bring up is um, a cool, like, cannibalism uh, film about uh, a family that actually um, partakes in cannibalism. That is, of course, We Are What We Are from 2010. We did get an American remake in 2013 from director um, Mickey Keating, was it? Or Jim Mickle? I can't remember. It's one of them. Um but yeah, the the original Spanish film is you know solidly superior to the American remake. As I said, Cannibal Family. Um, basically, the movie starts out with their father passing away, and then they have to kind of live without their main provider or their hunter, if you will. Um, and the movie kind of goes from there, leading to a very inevitable ending. You can almost see the ending coming miles away, but it doesn't make it any less satisfying. So. Um, uh, yeah, so that's We Are What We Are, and yeah, that's it for my honorable mentions. All right, nice. So, um, yeah, we'll uh, leave it there for now. So, yeah, thank you again for uh, joining me. It's always, uh, you know, we've stuck around together for as long as we have for a reason, and uh, I'm definitely glad we got to do this. So thank you so much. Oh, this was so fun. Actually getting to put together a top ten list of my, you know, some of my favorite style of horror films you know of course spanish language it just made me so happy putting this list together was an absolute joy even though it kind of was nerve-wracking at times because like i said having to having to kick out uh let lying uh, let sleeping corpses lie and then booting tombs of the dead and it just every decision was heartbreaking <laughs> but i yeah. still gotta I, I gotta stick with what i what with my gut and my gut says these 10 films are my favorite as of right now obviously if we do this show uh, again in another couple of months as you mentioned that list might change who knows it, it might still be it might still comprise of the same 10 movies but the order could change based on my mood um i don't think the top three will ever change actually the top five of my list will never change from wreck down to the orphanage 
those are just some of my favorite movies, regardless of language, just ever made. So yeah, thank you very much, Don. <laughs> this this was a blast. Yeah. So um, here, you know me, and uh, you follow my work, you know where to find you. But uh, for those that um, are unfortunately unable to uh, follow you and, uh, or uh, I shouldn't say uh, not necessarily unable, but uh, unfamiliar with uh, everything we do, go ahead and uh, let them know where they can uh, find, uh, well, I should say you, but I uh, should say <laughs> us. Well, for us specifically, Don and I are on two other shows together, both of them under the No More Room in Hell banner. So the first show is, of course, the weekly show, No More Room in Hell Presents Fresh Cuts. That is where we look at the newest genre releases every week. That is our weekly show. So um, I think our latest episode was on The Long Night, uh, starring Scout Taylor Compton, um, which was a cult film. So anybody who knows anything about me, you know how much I like cult movies. So uh, check that out. And then uh, the other show that we do together is No More Room in Hell presents Creature Comforts. And that is, of course, our creature feature podcast where we, you know, it, we're still early in that one. We've only done seven episodes. So we kind of, you know, at first we're concentrating on like some of the biggest titles, the King Kongs and the Wolfmans of the world. Now that we've kind of gotten our feet wet a little bit, we're starting to delve into some of the more obscure creature features um, like 1977's Empire of the Ants, things like that. So um, on our latest episode, episode seven, we take a look at 1980's Alligator. We not only review the film, but we also talk about some of the special features on the new Scream Factory 4K Blu-ray release of that one. So that was a fun episode. So definitely check that out. And as far as myself, you can also hear me on the main show, No More Room in Hell. That is a bi-monthly podcast where we look at two more obscure horror films if you will uh we we try not to do like some of the the standards of the genre if you will so if you're looking for reviews of no more room in, uh, of uh excuse me of uh things like nightmare on elm street or friday the 13th our show is not the one for you but if you're looking for a review of kung of uh, uh excuse me what was it executive koala ah uh, my friends my <laughs> no more room in hell is for you um so all three of those shows are available on the Dark Discussions podcast network, darkdiscussions.com. Um, Don and I are also on another show that is unfortunately on an extended hiatus. I don't know why I even bring it up other than just the hopefulness that maybe uh, someone will hear this and clamor for new episodes. But Don and I are also can be heard on Underwater Kaiju from Outer Space. Uh, that is available on the Legion Podcast Network. I believe we've done 23 or 24 episodes of that show. Yeah, and, somewhere in there. Yeah. yeah. And of course, you know, Underwater Kaiju. So, you know, of course, we're talking Godzilla, Gamera, and uh, all sorts of kaiju films in between. Um, I think the last episode that we did, which unfortunately was probably almost a year ago, I believe we looked at Godzilla versus Destoroyah, which is my favorite Godzilla movie, go figure. Um, so, you know, you still got 23 back episodes to check out on Legion Podcast if you would like. And that is it for me, Don. All right. Yeah. So uh, all of these uh, shows will be available down below for you to uh, check out. Uh, go ahead and uh, give him a follow. Uh, like I said, he, I've uh, broadcasted with him more than most of the year, any other person on the planet. So uh, it's definitely for a reason. <laughs> I took over Bill Casanelli's spot. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so until next time, we will see you with another episode later. Adios, amigos.